Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to talk about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We're also going to be discussing the biggest show on television right now, Euphoria. And to help us do that, we have a special guest joining us. Coming on to the show for their very first time, we have Cameron Amory. Hey. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. Okay, let's start with some news and some big news dealing with the global politics that are going on right now with the war that Russia is waging in Ukraine, which everyone, everyone dislikes that. Everyone hates it. And movie studios are responding as if that's going to change things. But, you know, it's good to have some symbolic gestures. They are pulling movies like The Batman, Sonic, Morbius, etc. from playing in Russian theaters. Mm-hmm until Putin stops what he's doing and pulls back his forces. So yeah, the movie industry, we are (laughs) making it known that we also do not support what is going on in Ukraine. Yeah, there was a weird thing that Fernando told me about last night where, I mean, we know all these companies are pulling out of Russia and we're putting like sanctions on Russia and we're like stalling them economically, which is a great thing. But he said that IMDb took off a Tarkovsky film from the top 250 movies. No, and I'm like, why? I'm like, why yeah. did you do that? What what gesture does is that? What, yeah, that's what does that's that serve? At a certain point, like a lot of these are symbolic stuff, and it is good to like at least as far as economically, like whatever can be done mm-hmm. in order to strain them so that yeah. they realize this is untenable and we need to pull out, or else our economy will continue to fracture. Mm-hmm. Doing very very symbolic things like that, pulling a film, or there's one like apparently cities have sister cities where they're like, oh, they just pick a random city around the globe. Yeah, um, yeah I saw that some like Baltimore or something said we are severing our sister city, <laughs> like contract or whatever, our agreement with some other city. I was like, is that really? I mean, I guess it's, it's cool, do but it does nothing. It changes nothing. Like, but again, whatever. You're no longer our sister. <laughs> But whatever can show that you're estranged. This is bad that Russia, whatever they're doing. But yeah, once again, we support Ukraine as everyone should support President Zelensky over there. Of course. Hopefully it'll be stopped very soon. Hopefully, yes. In other news, the SAG Awards happened over this past weekend. We have some winners to announce. Will Smith won for Best Actor for King Richard. Indeed, Jessica Chastain wins Best Actress for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Tony Kotzer won Best Supporting Actor for Coda. And Ariana DeBose wins Best Supporting Actor for West Side Story. It's looking so good think, for her Oscar yeah, chance. I think it's seemed like the only one here that I'm solid on is Ariana DeBose for Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars. I feel like that's a given. The other three, I have no idea. That could just be like an outlier because I don't think any three of those people won at the Globes. I'm not sure who won at the BAFTAs, but it's a very mixed bag this year, and I just have no like idea. Like when we come to do our predictions for who's gonna win, I have no idea. I guess I have to do more research. It just seems like such a uh, like 
every war show is doing something different. And so I'm yeah. just not sure what's going to happen. Which is exciting. I'm glad that yeah. we can't really pin it down immediately from like months out. Yeah. So that's Remember good. when Chadwick Boseman lost? <laughs> I just can't believe that they banked the whole structure of the show that. on Chadwick Boseman winning. So foolish. And then you uh, go, Anthony Hopkins, he's not here. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ends. Like, that's so funny. And of all the people to give it to, it's the guy that can't be there in person. Hilarious. Very, uh, very crazy. Did you see the Bullet Train trailer? 100% I did. It looks awesome. And nice. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I like it too. It looks stylish. looks fun. It's got a lot of comedy in there as well that I wasn't Love Brad anticipating. Love funny. Right? So, yeah. I think that'll be quite a nice hit. So that's fun. Yeah, super excited. Yep. We also have a Beetlejuice sequel that is getting produced by Brad Pitt, his Plan B company, and Whoa. will star Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder returning. Are you excited for that year? Never heard of that. I didn't know that was even happening. But yeah, I'll give it a yay, I guess. I mean, I'm not super big on just re-upping franchises for money and trying to bring people... Like, like, it just seems like the thing to do now is like actors who are now like in their 40s and 60s, like bringing them back and reprising roles that they did years and years ago. I feel like this one will be okay because Michael Keaton is still, I feel like he's at the top of his game these days, as opposed to even in the 80s when he was Batman and Beetlejuice. I feel like he's like really hitting a really good stride as an actor. So I feel like he could still do it well. I just think it's odd to bring the character back. I just think yeah. it's odd to bring the whole idea back for any any franchise, really. I feel like it's just, it's done. It's done, let's do something different. But I, I'll always have that opinion. But I mean, I'm still going to watch it when it come, whenever it comes out. Gotcha. Yeah, we'll see if I do it. I'm not a big fan of Beetlejuice anyhow, but... You didn't like Beetlejuice? <laughs> You're a weirdo. Beetlejuice is great. Let's do a Tim Burton director analysis. <laughs> we will. I would love that. Point. There's so many things we could pick for that. That's very true. Uh, Netflix, they lost their Marvel shows, and they are now on Disney+. Plus. So Daredevil, Lucas Cage, wow, that's Iron crazy. Fist, Jessica Jones, all that stuff is now going to be on Disney+. Plus In the middle of March... And Disney will now have the content warnings for mature shows. So that's an interesting change up for Disney Plus because originally they were going to just be mm. family content. Now they're throwing some R-rated yeah. stuff on there. Wow, crazy! Disney's Disney's testing the waters. They're like anything to make money, I guess. Wow. <laughs> for sure. Now let's go into our box office breakdown for the weekend of February twenty fifth to the twenty seventh. And of course, in first place, as there were no newer releases, is Uncharted with 23 million that is a 47 percent drop bringing its domestic total to 83 million and its worldwide total to 229 million impressive that is impressive also impressive is dog with 10 million not related to any bounty dog hunters bounty but it was hunter. still able to <laughs> get a good drop of only 37 percent very shocking Channing tatum turns out this was his comeback and now whatever he does for the lost city is just icing on the cake Yep. I don't know why every week when we do the box office breakdown, I have to announce why Spider-Man No Way Home, <laughs> what what that made each weekend. I don't know how it works out that way. I guess it just does naturally in the way we talk. But Spider-Man No Way Home made $5.8 million somehow. That's I'm hilarious. Stop going to see it. Stop. Uh, we, we've all seen little... it. Just buy it. Just buy it when it comes on DVD. Stop going to see it. Stop supporting it. I'm tired of this. I think I might go see it again this weekend. With my dad. <laughs> Gonna keep it up in the top five. Uh, death on the nile which just got a sequel announced i saw what why which is yeah that's what i said i said what it but didn't kenneth, do good i know it only you don't get sequels five. unless you're profitable fuck you kenneth branagh <laughs> yeah. 
hey, he said, well, he got Belfast and he's got this and a new sequel. So it's a good year for him. I suppose. What is what, what Hercule Poirot story are they going to do? Is it Death in the Air or Death in the Clouds, whatever it is? I don't they know. didn't say what it was. It's got to be that one. They did. They did train. They did boat. Now they're going to do the one that's in the air. Like that's just the natural progression of what they're <laughs> going to do next. So it's going to be that Probably. one. I guarantee it. After Death on the Nile was Jackass Forever with 3.1 million, which means it has now crossed the 50 million domestic. Impressive for them. Sing 2 got 2.2 million. Marry Me got 1.8 million. Studio 666 got 1.5 million. I still want to see that. Cyrano got 1.3 million. And Scream holding on to the top 10 with 1.3 million. And now we'll jump into the box office predictions for March 4th to the 6th. And this is an important one because the first film from either of our 2022 box office rosters is premiering. It is The Batman. The Batman. Indeed. So what do you think this film will get? It was your number one pick. Yes, it was. I'm betting $128 million. Wow, okay. I think it could get pretty high. I don't think it can reach 150. That's a little bit, it's asking a little too much. But I could, de- I, it's definitely going to cross 100 million for yeah. sure. I think it can get close to 130. Gotcha. I also agree, like over 100 million has to happen. Uh, it's just how far will it get? I think, I don't know, I was going back and forth between if it'll be able to cross 130. And I'm going to say, yeah. you know, I'm going to be more optimistic for you, Dylan. I'm going to say 135 million. You know what? You're right. I should be more optimistic. I'm going to say 140. I think he can hit Ooh, 140. Okay. I think he can go even better than what you're saying. <laughs> All right. He's manifesting good things for the Batman. We'll yeah. see. If How it... much? I have a question for you because you might know the answer to this. How much of a chunk does the Russian box office take up? Because that's going to be in jeopardy for most of the rest of the year. Wait, that would just be the worldwide. I mean, Russia is a pretty good market, but it's not It's not going to make it. not like rate. China or anything. No. It's not yeah, going to make but, uh, The thing that doesn't worry about it is that it's going to be like across the board, I don't think any of our films are going to get released in Russia unless this gets, I, don't, I can't imagine it's getting resolved soon enough to where the movies coming out later in this year would be released in Russia. I feel like we'll see. It's, it's entirely possible that it could possible, um, but this seems like, like they're like pulling out of Russia pretty strongly. The, yeah. All the, all the top, uh, uh, companies, production companies, what are they called? Distribution companies. Yeah. That probably makes sense. Yeah. They're all pulling out. So I'm not too worried about that. China. China worries me, though. Well, the Batman did get a release in China, I think. It did? Which is absurd, because you would think a dark, gritty film like this would not get over there. And Spider-Man still hasn't even got released there. But I think, yeah, two weeks from now, I need to double-check on that, but I believe, yeah, the Batman did get a China release, which is... Fuck yeah. Good for you. We'll see. I don't know, again, if Batman really plays over in China, but... Yeah. That could more than cover your Russia loss so yeah it might hurt you because i don't think dr strange 2 or thor 11 thunder it doesn't seem like like they could but it seems very risky and you got two marvels i only got one and it seems like maybe all the rest of my movies might get released in china which would be pretty great and then only three year movies will get released in china which is pretty great for me so we'll have to see how that like plays out that might benefit me greatly okay let's go ahead and jump into the euphoria talk so just to give some context if people are listening and they have been living under a rock and don't know about Euphoria, it is a show on HBO created by Sam Levinson, who is also the writer and director of all the episodes. So it's definitely his vision. 
It's starring Zendaya as the main character, Rue. And she won the Emmy for lead actress uh, for that first season, her performance in that. And it's also starring a host of other up-and-coming young stars. Hunter Schaefer as Jules, Jacob Lordy as Nate, Sydney Sweeney as Cassie, Alexa Demi as uh, Maddie, Barbie Ferreira as Kat, Eric Dane as Cal, Angus Cloud as... Can someone fact check that? Is his name actually Angus Cloud? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing i was like writing it down i'm like i remember that being what it is but you know me dylan i write yeah you write <laughs> the names the wrong, wrong things sometimes. <laughs> and i'm like that has to be one of those cases where she's not accurate but it is angus cloud as fezco and dominic fike came on in season two as elliot and undoubtedly the show is a massive phenomenon it is the second biggest hbo show since 2004 behind only Game of Thrones, and it is the most tweeted about show of the decade. Definitely has a massive social media presence. Mm-hmm. So it's everywhere. It's getting talked about a lot. So we wanted to throw our hat in the ring, talk about it as well. So first I want to just ask y'all, when did you get turned on to the euphoria craze? When did you find out about it? When did you start watching it? Cam, when did that happen for you? Oh, gosh. Uh, I would say it came out in 2019, right? Yes. I believe so. Right. I think it must have been right around that time. I remember being in community college and my friends were like, there's this new show that came out. It's really cool. Um, And they were going to throw a Euphoria themed party, which I thought was kind of ironic considering uh, it's trying to like make a commentary about drug use. But it was funny. Uh, yeah, it was around that time I saw it, and I thought that it really had potential, and obviously we're here now. So, yeah. Awesome, yeah. Dylan, what about you? When did you first hear about and or start watching Euphoria? So I remember when the first trailer dropped for the show, and I watched it, and I did not think it looked that interesting. I thought it was just going to be another one of those, like, it's just, like, overhyped drama. like Kind of like, like Riverdale, but not as, like, uh, what's the word? <laughs> bad crazy <laughs> yeah yeah and i and i i just thought i was just gonna skip it and then the whole season came out and my friend who's now my roommate spencer like was praising the show like crazy and his praise is very much like earned i trust his word a lot and so he was saying that the show was the best thing on television at the time and he absolutely loved it and he loved like the season finale even though a lot of people didn't and he thought it was the whole thing which is great and so and my girlfriend at the time had talked about it a lot, even though she hadn't seen it. She just knew what the show was about. And she knew a lot of things that happened. She knew all the characters and she loved them all, even though she hadn't seen it. And so her and I sat down like throughout the week, like in one week, we sat down with Spencer. and We would just watch episodes with him because he wanted to rewatch it, too. And so we were able to binge the whole show probably. I want to say like eight or nine months after it finished. So that's mm-hmm. when we first watched the whole thing. And then with season two, it came out. And I watched the first episode after it came out and then I just got too busy and I didn't want to catch up and then have to wait more weeks. So I was just going to wait until the whole thing was out and then binge it. And that came about this week and I was able to watch the first seven episodes, but I couldn't get to the finale before we recorded today. I'm, I'm literally, I, I woke up, I was trying to wake up at eight today so I could watch the last two hours worth of episodes and I accidentally woke up at nine and that screwed me oh. over. So oh. I couldn't, I couldn't finish it in time. Tragic. So you're midway through Lexi's play. You haven't gotten I'm like through the 10 rest minutes of it. from the end of Lexi's play. Dang. Tragic. Um, yeah, for me, it was definitely around 
it was when it started coming out in that summer of 2019. I can't remember if I was watching it weekly or if, like around the first few weeks that it had been dropped that I started watching it. But I definitely was there watching it early. And I agree with you. It seemed initially like it was going to be this regular old team drama, but mm-hmm. it was definitely distinct and it had a lot of depth to it, which really pulled me in. And I do remember Spencer talking about it a lot as well. And him and I, like we honestly, I don't know, our tastes aren't that similar, but the yeah. fact that we both latched onto the series like independently, like I had discovered it and then heard about him praising it after the fact, like that also solidified for me, like this is something special. So that was pretty cool to see. And then, yeah, I waited for the longest time for the special episodes to come around and then longest time mm-hmm. for this season to drop. It's going to yeah. be a long wait for the next season. Yeah. But yeah clearly it has become a massive phenomenon so what do you guys think is the appeal of this show what makes it stand out like the audiences generally but also to you why are you so invested in euphoria um yeah uh i would say that i guess first of all it's very pretty (laughs) like the cinematography is amazing um which we attribute to Sam Levinson, but Marcel Rev is the cinematographer and uh, he's been doing an amazing job. But I think obviously besides the aesthetic aspect of it, it talks about a lot of themes that I think we all dealt with in high school or saw secondhand. So it's amazing to see that someone's bringing light to those issues, I think. Um, But not only that, the cast is amazing. The actors are phenomenal and I feel like they're really convincing with their roles. Um, I know there's a lot of flack about how they're 20 something playing teenagers, but honestly, I think they do it pretty well. Uh, so I feel like those elements draw me into it, just watching Rue's journey and trying to figure out uh, where it might go and, you know, seeing the effects of her drug use on her friends and her family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it has something to do with it being like the first sort of tasteful and artful interpretation of high school life for like our generation and like this newer generation and what that's like with social media and with all these different like mental health problems that people are are dealing with in a more public fashion than previously when it was like shunned about and so i feel like taking those themes and taking those aspects of high school life and putting them into like a drama series with all these characters is sort of like a positive thing for people to see and like it's impacting a lot of people in a lot of different ways because they're like identifying with what they're seeing on the screen even though it is like heightened to a surrealist reality and very much uh, the drama of it is still at the forefront of it because it's high school life drama is going to be at the forefront of a lot of people's daily lives and so I feel like it's taking that surrealism that is that feeling of what high school is and combining with the reality of what high school actually is and like marrying the two together as well as like creating that sort of uh, environment that was the high school life that a lot of people grew up around in this generation. True, very true. I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Um, Definitely that distinct visual style that they got going on, which, yeah, 100% glad that you mentioned the cinematographer because he does a lot of great work. Um, But then also the things like the makeup, I mean, that became such a famous part about Euphoria as well. Yeah, yeah. All the makeup looks. Um, And also the soundtrack, which largely from Labyrinth, like the original music that he contributed, as well as all the other songs that Levinson will pick out and include. All that stuff, I think, helps establish the mood 
just that feeling of euphoria mm -hmm. that does strike at that really heightened reality, uh, which I think is part of what makes it stand out so much. Like he loves to indulge in these like visual montages and intercutting with mm -hmm. a song yeah. playing over it. And it does like, it's always beautiful and it's always really interesting to watch that play out. So that I think makes it stand out. And also it's on HBO. So it's very graphic. They go all in. Correct. <laughs> show, <laughs> like vicious drug use, sex abuse, language, all that stuff is just does not shy away from it. <laughs> he gets, we can maybe talk about in season two how maybe he goes a little too far into getting graphic in times where he doesn't really need to. But yeah, I think all that stuff is what helps makes it stand out. And you guys touched on the whole mental health aspect and how he's exploring that in ways that connects with this generation and in ways that hasn't really been explored in this particular way before. And one of the things that I truly loved about the first season was the cold open for each episode where it would focus on a particular character, mm -hmm. give us their backstory, show us essentially where their trauma originated and how that trauma is informing the actions they're doing now. I just love that. Like, I thought all of those yeah. were super interesting. I've heard some people say, like, oh, that's like telling instead of showing, which sort of in a way, but like the narration that Rue Zendaya gives is like a characterization itself. Like, it, allows us to peek into who they are um in ways that you can't entirely just show but then also again he's using those visual montages in order to fill in the rest that the narration isn't doing or it's reinforcing whatever the narration is saying so to me i it works on like every level i really like it yeah i think it's so hard to get away with narration in any mm -hmm. kind of medium and to marry it with a montage like that and have it be about like characters that are are not rude like she's narrating mostly other characters lives and giving you information that hasn't even happened yet because the story focuses at a different part of their life and just giving that background that makes it work it feels very like scorsese-esque and like goodfellas or wolf of wall street where it's narration that's telling you just literally just throwing facts at you about somebody without explicitly show like they're showing how it's affecting them without telling you how it's affecting them they're just telling you what is affecting them and that gives right. you background for the actual story rather than just telling you the story itself. So I feel like that's what makes the narration work so well. And I just think I'm a sucker for for montages. And I just think it works so well. Yeah, that's so true. I was going to add to that just like the fact that we get to connect with Rue on that level, I think, because she's sort of omniscient. Mm -hmm. So she just knows everything in a sense since we're assuming that she's narrating from the future. I think that's cool that we get to have almost like a fourth wall break with her sometimes or literally because mm -hmm. she looks into the camera. But yeah, it's just really cool. That's a cool narrative aspect that they included. For sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, so season one back in 2019, I think it's legitimately great television. Yeah, like I think 100%. there's a lot of like yeah. beautiful, amazing stuff in there. Um, and just to touch on some of the things that for me worked really well, the whole like carnival episode i thought was great like yeah, it works it best when it is able to like put these characters in settings that like we recognize from our own high school days whatever if it's like a mm -hmm. dance or some outing um and then we just see them interact and all the drama play out there that was great mm -hmm. and of course it looked visually stunning when you see like jules and rue and cal they're all like looking for something um and you see the fireworks like going off in the back 
that's also a really great tool because you're able to see, oh, that firework we just saw over Jules, and now we see a similar firework happening over Cal. Oh, he's closing in. Like, I thought yeah. that was just constructed really well. Mm-hmm. And then the payoff of Cal showing up and everything we know of him is, oh, he's going to threaten her. He's going to be really aggressive. He's going to do all this. And then he just is begging her essentially to not do anything. Like he comes off not in the way that we expected at all. Yeah. Like that, that whole stuff I thought was brilliant. And it's interesting because I think he does like the mid season stuff, like the setting up and then getting to like a midpoint in a way really, really good. And I feel like the finales, he stumbles a bit and I don't know why, but that's what I noticed in season two as well. We'll talk about like the midpoint of season Mm -hmm. two and how I thought that was like the biggest strength of it. But yeah, for me, season one, that whole carnival episode and the whole Jules, Nate, and Cal setup, just like the amount of drama that you pack into that sort of dynamic, it was insane. It's one of the best setups I've seen like ever. Yeah. That, that's all incredible season one. I feel like having seen most of season two and all of season one, I feel like I could say that I like season one a little bit more than season two. I think that it just has more going for it structurally from start to finish. It has all these characters and has like purposes for all of their like stories and weaves them together very well. Whereas season two seems very much like just trying to continue that, but not doing it perfectly for every character, which is a little disappointing, but overall I still love season two and I love the things that they do with it in certain parts. Like they expand on certain characters. They do a lot more crazier things. They're like taking it to the next level in a lot of ways. But I feel like the, the story structure of season one was just so superb and so well formed that i just had a great time always right yeah it felt a lot looser in season Mm -hmm. two i kind of i kind of constantly wondered where we were going with each plot line or what what the cohesive product was supposed to be i guess because it's sort of like we would do something and lean into it and then go to a completely different thing i don't know but like you're saying season one had that really good uh structure and i really do love that carnival episode right oh yeah um incredible yeah, I think it was fascinating that we also got to see a bit of what Geo was doing because I thought mm-hmm. we were going to lean into that as well. I mean, season two, we don't really get to see what Geo does. But yeah, season one, I don't know. Nothing compares. It was just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> True. And it does. It's interesting because now we're a few years removed from it. And it's almost like somewhat becoming nostalgic in a way. Like we're looking back on that, how he wants to create that mood of like the teenage fantasy and whatnot. And I'm wondering... Like when we get to the season three talk, I'm wondering, is he going to be able to sustain that mood and that atmosphere? Because he hit it so perfectly, I think, in season one. And in season two, like there are flashes of it, but I don't think it hits it as well. Like we'll talk about it, but it seems like he was leaning more into like more of the superficial drama and the things that you'd see on like reality TV, like, oh, this person's stealing this person's boyfriend, which is interesting for sure, obviously. But I don't know if it, was as deep and meaningful as a lot of the things he explored in season one. So that's a little sad and disappointing about season two, but a big strength of season two, I think was Rue Mm -hmm. and her arc that she went through. Cause in season one, I thought that was great. And again, like this part of the feeling of it was like her whole relationship with Jules and that sort of being a stand in for her drugs. Um, Like that is her getting caught up in, like the euphoria, the mm-hmm. high of falling like head over heels in love in that way, even though it wasn't a real love. It was like an infatuation. But still, that was really well realized. And then the fact that she like got sober 
for Jules. So it wasn't mm-hmm. a real sobriety. Like she wasn't doing for herself. So that made it a fragile sobriety. And of course she relapsed. And now in season two, we start out with her just fully going into the drugs again, hiding it yeah. from everyone, hiding it from Jules, just trying to mm-hmm. really let loose with that. And then seeing how that is damaging her relationships, how it comes out that she is doing those drugs again and how she has to try to come back together and repair herself from there. Uh, and I think the best episode of the season by far is episode five, the one where it's Rue just running around trying yeah, to yeah. get high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's great. The way it starts out too, where it's uh, just her yelling at her mom because the suitcase drugs got flushed down the toilet mm-hmm. and she was yelling at Gia as well. You see all that. Like that was just so well done and there's no music or anything like that. It's just them sitting around letting loose and it was so heart-wrenching to see like as what they said in the special episode that ali said to rue which i also really love like that mm-hmm. it's just a simple conversation for an hour and i loved all the things that were getting brought up there yeah so, ali saying things like drugs changes you as a person and we see rue lashing out in these ways like doing everything she can to manipulate them like apologizing at one point, yelling at them, intimidating them at one point. Yeah, yeah. And she's right. getting told you're not a good person by her own mother. Like, ah, uh, all that stuff was just so good, so palpable. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. I feel like it was hard to watch, but in a way that's like it hits home, you know. Um, I mean, personally, just like on my own in my own life, I've been Gia before. I've had to deal with a sibling who has an insane drug problem, and mm-hmm. I think Sam really really hit the nail on the head there i feel like that is the experience that i've been through um having to sit through really tense situations like that and not knowing whether to intervene um because gia kind of does do that sometimes sometimes she'll kind of get between her mom and rue and say rue doesn't know what she's doing and things like that and it puts gia in a really weird position because then she has to figure out does she go for self-preservation take care of herself um does she try to preserve the family? Does she try to preserve her sister's life? It's just, you know, and I think that, like you were saying, it, it was really intense just seeing the way that Rue was kind of swinging from different emotions, but the way mm. she kicked through the door and she threatened her mom several times. She threatened to kill her mom in season one. Uh, it's yeah. just like, it's insane, but it's so surreal. And I feel like people who don't usually deal with that stuff don't realize how accurate that was of the mm-hmm. depiction yeah yeah it felt like she was trying to say anything and everything that could get her a fix like she was willing to do and say whatever it was and she was just trying different things to get that fix and try to to, to get her drugs back because she knew she was about to go through withdrawals and she knows what hell that is and she just didn't want to experience that and she also knew what kind of a position she was in with Lori and that case of drugs that she took and it was just very, very hard to watch and very emotional. And it just kept going. It just didn't end. And then when she was berating Jules, it was just so heartbreaking, like heart-wrenching that that would happen. And like a lot of the things she said were true, but to like a hyperbolic extreme. And that's what's right. so painful about it is that it's just taking, it's like what Ali says in I think the episode before where he says, taking like an instant in someone's life and just blowing it up and making it the only thing about them and just focusing on that. And that just becomes so harmful. And it's crazy. It's just crazy how good that, that whole scene, that whole episode is. Just following her journey through withdrawals. Yeah, very, very true. And then on that point about Jules, 
Let's talk about her this season. Because when it started out, Dylan, you and I had seen the first episode together. Yeah. And do you remember what I said when we first saw Jules? You said disappointing. Yes, because <laughs> they didn't do... It was just like a big wide shot of the entire house. And we see like Jules running up with Kat. Like we didn't focus in on her at mm -hmm. all. And I was like, what? I feel like maybe we would have a bit more hoopla for Jules, like the second main character of the whole show. Well, I feel like the whole point of that big swooping shot was like to show that not like to establish the party, of course, and then to show Jules's entrance into it. And then it focuses on in on Rue as she's looking down at Jules and like the lights all dim down except a spotlight on Rue. And so that whole episode, at least the second half of it, is supposed to be focused on like not only the drama that's happening at the party, but Rue's like uh, her like noticing Jules again and then like having to deal with that trauma from her past and how it like pushed her back into addiction and like how she is currently addicted and still like continuing to go through that addiction. So I feel right. like Jules's presence was more like, which is disappointing because Jules is her own character and she should get her own spotlight. But it was very much in that episode, uh, a pushing point for Rue. Right. Yeah. But I would have liked, as you said, like her being her own character, they could have. I understand that. I felt like done that in a way where we start on Jules, we see what hers, what she's up to, and then we could tilt up to see. Did you like that, Cam? Tilt up, not pan up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tilt, you know how I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Tilt up to Rue in the window, which wasn't the very next shot, though. Rue, like, not by the window at all. Like, she was at the first floor or something. Yeah. It was that also felt like jarring, that. which is why I also didn't like it. Um, well, that whole episode structure is jarring because it cuts from them in the car and they're immediately at a party without any establishing of Rue entering the party. And Rue's just already there. And, yeah. it, and the first time I watched it, I didn't know if like the party scene happened before the drug scene or if the drug scene happened before the party scene. I didn't know what the structure was there because it wasn't like super clear. But after the second time, I figured that the party scene did happen after the drug scene. Like I, I figured that out. Yeah. That's also just like an aside. That's another issue that I think became more prominent in season two mm -hmm. is he likes to do the intercutting and like going back and forth between the plot threads yeah. i don't know if it's effective all the time yeah there's definitely moments where it's either confusing or it just doesn't feel like it connects or is related in the way that he wants him to like the mm -hmm. scene of cal in the bar where he's dancing with that one guy um yeah. and he's like reliving that old memory and then we cut to Cassie dancing alone in a living room, getting drunk in a bathing suit to the mm -hmm. same song. Mm -hmm. I just don't know what the purpose of that was. I didn't yeah, see no, any like story it. reason for why we were aligning Cal with Cassie in that moment because they're not right. the same at all. They were not doing any like the same emotions or anything like that. It just didn't make sense. I think maybe but, he was trying to go for like a they're both at like a desperate point type of thing, but I feel like it didn't translate that way. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also. I feel like he could have allotted all of that time to something with Kat, but obviously that's a different discussion. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. It, it was very disappointing. Her entire journey was disappointing in that whole season because it's just like they pick the the very bare bones of a plot for her and like it's like three scenes for her the whole season and it just doesn't make sense how she gets from point A to point B to point C. Like there's no transitional scenes for her. It just seems like she's a very... It's, it's like she's too static in this season which is upsetting. Right. Yeah, she felt very distant, which is weird because mm -hmm. she was one of the biggest parts of Euphoria season one. Yeah, her whole and episode was, was great. 
Yeah, it was. And I liked her. It was funny on the second rewatch of Euphoria. I liked her less, but I remember her being like one of the top characters when I first watched it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I really liked the growth that she had and she definitely had like a big uh, arc in that first season. And this one just absolutely nothing. And whatever we did see was her being a jerk to Ethan. I mean, yeah. why did she <laughs> like what was that whole thing about trying to say she had a brain tumor? Yeah, that came out of nowhere. I thought that was very <laughs> odd. Yeah. And I didn't like it. I liked Ethan's like response to it. I thought that was great, but I just don't understand what her perspective was in that situation. I don't understand what she was doing at all. Like it didn't. It seemed very much out of her character at that point. Yeah. Right. I feel like uh, Cat has like those tendencies to kind of exaggerate things or like be a little bit of like an embellisher. But that was so extreme. I was so confused when I was watching that. Mm -hmm. I was wondering. I understand that the reason why she did that is because she wanted Ethan to break up with her. But it was kind of yeah. like, what is? I don't. I was like, what was Sam thinking when he wrote that? He literally <laughs> yeah. just went off the deep end. Like he ran with an idea, and just that was so strange. Yeah, I like the idea of her trying to get Ethan to break up with her, but the way he went about writing it for that scene was just so odd and out of character that there was just definitely other ways that she could have gone about trying to get that result and trying to get Ethan to break up with her. Like the whole, everything after the brain tumor part where she's just like gaslighting and like trying to put it on him, that all is great. But like the brain tumor stuff leading up to it just doesn't make any sense. Right. No, I don't know how she thought she was going to get away with that. And also, why did she want, why did she care if it was Ethan who broke up with her? Um, she just wanted to be seen as the bad guy. Yeah. So so she just wants, you know, like if you were stuck in a situation, you want to date someone and you don't want to be seen as the bad guy. You don't want to break their heart. You'd rather them think of something to break up with you for. I think I it guess. has to do with like she can't put into words why she doesn't want to date him. And so she doesn't want to be the person who's like, I just broke up with him and like doesn't have a reason why. Because she, it's like not possible for her to explain why like she can't say i'm breaking up with you and he says why and then she just doesn't know why and so she's just trying to get him to break up with her so she doesn't have to do it bro cat all you had to do is just lean on the line it's not you it's me that's all oh, you had to do cat no. didn't <laughs> have to bring up the brain tumor. <laughs> it's not you it's me and my brain tumor right. we went that route instead uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah that was that was odd that's another thing about this season which i'm trying to like figure out it felt like season one we had mm -hmm. many more characters and many more storylines going on. And in season two, we had like Kat gets sidelined. Yeah. McKay gets booted completely. Gone completely. Which I'm fine with. I did. I was the weakest I part. I was watching the, the theater episode and I was like, and it was a scene where Cassie is kissing Nate. And I'm like, where's McKay? Like, what is happening? <laughs> I just realized McKay has been in the whole thing. And then I thought, you know what? Good for him. He's not hanging out with high schoolers anymore. He's That's true. Gone. That's partially why I'm like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense for him to still be doing that. Yeah. And then. Also, yeah, he was not particularly interesting. He was lowest of the characters. I liked him in season, one. in season one. Like, I liked his episode and his journey in that episode. But then everything before and everything after, it seemed like he, he was just part of Cassie's journey. And then when they broke up, it's yeah. just kind of like, you don't need him anymore. We, we he, figured out his journey. He's not dating Cassie anymore. He shouldn't be around high schoolers anymore because that's just weird. Yeah. Let's just move on. So I understand even in, why. Even in his own episode, it still felt like it was half and half with Cassie. In her yeah, story well, during that episode it was like how he relates to her story yeah and this so, season has definitely been like cassie's journey like a lot in a lot of ooh, ways like she's sure. one of the most important characters in the season should we should we jump into it should we jump into it, the cassie <laughs> Bro, she's crazy oh my god dude, i know she's nuts 
crazier. Uh, no, yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know, I don't want to like lead the discussion, but I was just gonna say, Go for it. it felt very heavy handed. I felt like we were kind of getting assaulted with their relationship, <laughs> and I was wondering, I was kind of wondering, what are all the other characters doing right now? Because it was so insane how much they tried to, I guess, shove that plot line down our throats. Uh, and I understand it's something that could happen, it's plausible. Um, but they really dragged it out, like mm-hmm. from episode one to the finale which i won't discuss but you know it just kind of was like very overbearing i was wondering why sam laid into it so hard when there were other characters that we could have developed further yeah if that makes sense yeah i enjoyed this being like the main arc of the season other than rue and like i had a fun time watching all the scenes especially because nate is once again at the center of this very vast plotline that's happening and so he can connect a lot of threads between maddie and now cassie and cal and so like all of these other things are kind of tied to him and i think he's probably one of the most interesting characters in the show so i was having a good time like watching cassie get folded into nate's craziness and how that like affects her and changes her and how like cassie's presence later affects maddie like i just love how like we see matt we see cassie just going crazy for a couple episodes and then that builds up to rue just like dropping the bomb in the middle of <laughs> rue, like rue's episode so, like, which is so rue good just drops the bomb and then leaves and we don't know what happens until <laughs> the next episode and i love it i love that so like that was the best way to go about dropping that bomb 100 percent, yeah and it works so well for rue's character because again she's doing anything to get a fix she's yeah. now cornered by everyone mm-hmm. she knows and loves and so what does she do? She diverts the attention by yeah. <laughs> blowing up that friend group so she can yeah. sneak out. She's also it's pissed so off because Cassie says something so stupid. What did she say? <laughs> yeah. She said, you should take we'll it take one, it day, one at day, day at a time. <laughs> it's just so stupid. It's just a stupid thing to say. And I, I remember hearing her say that. And like the, everything leading up to that is just Cassie just crying nonstop for like four episodes straight. And then she's there <laughs> trying to give motivational help. And I'm like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Do something different, Cassie. Come on, Cass. <laughs> it was the one good thing she tried to do all season. And then it she got big backlash for it. Um it's I just don't uh, with Cassie, it's just insane that every I think Cam, you and I talked about it before. So when it said she hit a new low every single yeah. episode. <laughs> Literally. That's so funny. Which is crazy. And Dylan, you're about to see the lowest low. Does it get finale. worse? Oh yes, they get so much it's just astonishing. And again, I'm like, it's one of those things where it is that like gossipy sort of drama that is interesting. Like just knowing mm-hmm. people yeah. being very messy. It's interesting to watch and play out. But then yeah. at a certain point, it's also like, what are we doing here? Like it's it just, just felt, sad. yeah. And at a certain point, I, and I don't know what they're going to do going forward with it, but like we're meant to believe so all this is originating from her daddy issues craving male validation and all that stuff yeah um, but i'm just thinking like every time like d- d- does it go this far like this far she knows nate is a horrible person how does she even get to the point where she's leaving her house she moved out of her house yeah to move in with nate and they had been dating for i don't know how long at this point i don't know what the like show was at but can it couldn't have been that long yeah i can believe like, it though i can find the believability in it because she is craving that sort of validation that she gets from nate and then 
nobody else is giving her any other validation like not a single person they're doing the opposite they are chastising her and they're saying you did something wrong own up to it and she's trying to seek like acceptance for the actions that she did and she finds it in nate and so it just pushes her more and more towards nate especially because nate is like uh, what's the thing it's like a psychology term he's like addictive in a very strong way because like sometimes like when she asks for attention sometimes he'll give it and sometimes he won't and she never knows when that's going to happen so she will continually go back to Nate, hoping that he will give her that attention. And like that becomes addictive for her. Mm. It's kind of like her own addiction, right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Very <sighs> astute observation, Dylan. Incredible. I, I, I blow my own mind away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can believe that and get behind that. Like the idea of, okay, if everyone else is isolating her, then the only person she has left is Nate. Like, mm. yeah, that makes sense. But at a certain point, like, come on. You just gotta open your eyes. I mean, yeah, she is crazy. <laughs> right. You are you are yeah. correct. Like she's completely wrong in every situation that happens in this entire <laughs> season. And she should certainly, hopefully in season like I don't know how the finale ends, but hopefully in season three she will have a reckoning where she realizes her wrongdoings and goes back on them. Yeah. One thing I did want to bring up though <laughs> is big highlight of this season was the hot tub scene because of cassie just projectile vomiting yeah i don't know oh, no i laughed so hard it, it was so, so hilarious. it was just that cracked, cracked me up so much i had to rewind it it was so good it just seems think- like there's so many times where she wants to just come out and say it to maddie and say it to everybody she, she just wants to get off her chest because clearly she's very guilty about it and she's there, and you feel like she's just going to get it off her chest. And she just vomits everywhere because she just can't get it out. It's so crazy. It's hilarious. Yeah, but also, I was wondering the whole time, too. Um, I, I mean, I guess, I like, you want to feel uh, empathy for all the characters, right? But Cassie mm-hmm. is making it really hard to feel anything yeah. for her. But I feel like in that scene, I've started to sort of feel empathy for her, especially when Sue's, uh, her mom was like dragging her out of the hot tub and everyone was staring at her. I felt so bad for a moment because I was like, damn, she's just really uh, misdirected. Like she just needs to get some sort of direction. Someone needs to grab her by the shoulders and just, you know, give her like a stern talking to. But it was just very, it was very sad to see that happen also obviously it was funny but i was like oh my god cast cast you poor baby like i don't know yeah i just feel bad because then there gets to the point where after rue drops the bomb and then maddie and cat or maddie and cat like corner her and they're really upset clearly and then she tries to get like validation from her family from like lexi and her mom and then they also sort of corner her in a way and just like tell her to own up to it which is the right thing to do like she should own up to the like the mistake that she made and she's trying to like focus on technicalities like technically they weren't dating like everything was fine i don't know why i'm getting so much crap for it and then she she's like every time they like throw something at her she throws something back it's even worse and it just gets worse and worse and worse her relationship with her family and you know i do feel bad even though it's 100 percent her fault i just you know it's just a shitty situation and i hope she like realizes her mistakes and has her comeuppance right yeah uh, but yeah, with Maddie this season, I mean, a lot of her stuff was her sort of navigating the Nate thing. And thankfully, they like stayed away for the most part. But mm-hmm. there was still always that moment of like him showing up at the house. She's babysitting yeah, with flowers and whatnot. And so you never know, oh, is she going to get back with him? Mm-hmm. Thankfully, they stayed away. And then the whole, she had like this weird arc of the trying on the clothes 
which like relates back to yeah yeah and I, I guess the materialism stuff that she likes um and like wanting that nice life of just living in luxury mm-hmm. uh, and then i thought it was weird to that the mom one day comes back knows she's doing all that and then just like chills out with her in the pool and gives her wine or whatever yeah <laughs> like you're giving this random high schooler that's babysitting your child you're i feel just like it could have been her. developed a lot more like i feel like it was yeah. just two scenes of her trying on clothes and interacting with the mother and i'm like it could have been a much bigger arc for maddie to have with this like a relationship with this woman and i feel like it was planned to be that like that's what it feels like is that sam levinson wanted to include more scenes about that but then had to cut it for time for whatever reason just couldn't fill it in maybe if there was just like one more episode in the season to where they could stretch it out a bit and they could flesh out more of the side stories like maddie and cat and a little bit more like fezco somewhere in the middle because he gets sort of sidelined between the beginning and the end I feel like that might have helped a lot, but you know, eight episodes, you got to pick and choose your battles, I guess. Right. For sure. I was going to ask you guys. um, I mean, obviously the show has a million theories behind it, but everyone's always theorizing uh, specifically what the dynamic was between Maddie and this mom and whether or not there was something, I guess, sexual undertones to that because of the, the introduction essentially where she unzips her dress yeah my thing um personally i feel like i don't really know if it was supposed to be that but i felt more like maddie just idolizes her she has everything Mm -hmm. that maddie wants but what are your opinions on that how do you feel when i first watched it i definitely thought it was going to take like a sexual turn at some point in the future like i thought that the mother would like try to come on to her and it didn't happen and i was like yeah that's fine that makes sense but it felt like a weird way to shoot that like undressing scene to have right. it with that sexual tension and then not like capitalize on that in any way. It seemed kind of odd, but I agree. I think she, Maddie definitely like idolizes this woman's position in life, how she has all these clothes and all these possessions that Maddie thinks are important. She has like a, a, a child and a husband and like a fancy house. And in Maddie's eyes, it's like the ideal life that she wants more than anything. And so she's always trying on these clothes, pretending she has that life. And then she, starts bringing in Nate into the house and they start like hanging out there and sort of living out like what that life would be like if they were married. And so Maddie continues to fantasize about that. And then that fantasy just like crumbles completely when she finds out about Cassie. And so that's like so heartbreaking for her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I do that's... feel bad. Yeah. I think I definitely like a... Maddie more after this season than I did right? after the first season. Like I, I sure. sympathize with Maddie a lot more. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Me too. For sure. Um, and yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Dylan. I don't think they're going to continue with any sexual component. Like, I think the whole yeah. pool scene sort of solidifies that something would have happened there if it was. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm glad that they aren't going that route. I would Me like too. for them to continue with that like idolization in a way. And maybe that, uh, that lady becomes like a maternal figure for Maddie in a mm. way, um, so that she can get and get like more arc outside of nate related things um and she yeah, can figure out nice. like her future and what does she want to do with her life mm-hmm. um, like that could be an interesting way to go forward with episode six there was a whole thing with nate coming in with a gun and oh that was crazy Maddie. yeah to get the <gasps> tape that was nuts like that was some season one vibes where i was yeah, just on the edge of my seat insane. that was That's crazy the... That's the scene I finished right before I went to pick up Alexa to go see the Batman. <laughs> so I was just talking to her about it. And I was like, he just had a gun and just put it against his own head and was just threatening to kill himself if she didn't give him a disc. Like, it's so perfectly 
design writing wise and shot incredibly well like everything about it is fantastic and it's just insane like it's something that we have not seen anything like that all season really we've seen a bit of like weird tension between fez and cal a little bit and definitely fez beating the shit out of nate in the first episode but there hasn't been like a lot of crazy nate stuff that has happened and this is like the culmination of everything that has been building up for Nate is he's like trying to put his anger in check and he just can't do it. He has to get this disc. Otherwise he's fucked. Like his whole future is fucked. And so he's willing to do anything to get it. And he knows that uh, Maddie values Nate's life more than her own life at this point, which is crazy that he understands that and he recognizes that. And he's willing to put himself like, I mean, he doesn't put a bullet in the gun, but he's willing to pretend like he's putting himself in danger and like pretty much torture Maddie. And I love the bit after where he gets the disc. And he just immediately feels guilty. And he's like, I was joking. I was, it's just a joke. <laughs> it's oh, just a prank. The bullets in the gun. Yeah, it's, it's just a joke. Like, like he like tries to like, like he recognizes how awful the thing he just did was. And he tries to like cover it up because he had that conversation with his mother, with his mother, where his mother's like, you're just an angry person. And he's like, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? All my anger is justified. And so like, he like starts to like see this thing in himself that is darkness. And he doesn't want to end up like Cal. He wants to end up, because he talks about having like the fantasies of being with Cassie and having a child with her and how they wouldn't fight and they'd have a nice family and he would raise the child better than Cal raised him. And he like has that fantasy over and over again. Yeah, Nate has that whole reckoning the season where he has to come to terms with his anger and his anger issues and like the darkness that's inside of him that he doesn't quite understand. And we don't quite like his mother says something about when he was eight or nine. And I guess there's like an implication there that maybe like Cal abused him or something. That's kind of what I picked up on, but it might be just like her worried about Cal having abused him. It might not even be true, but there's some kind right. of darkness in him that has occurred when he was younger. And it definitely has something to do with Cal. And maybe they'll reveal that in season three. I have no idea. But Nate is trying to like put that part of him behind him. But in order to do that, he has to use the darkness to to do that. He's crazy. Like he, he feels bad about hurting uh, Maddie to get the disc. He feels bad about hurting Jules to protect Cal because Cal wasn't worth protecting. Like he starts to have like these guilty feelings about a lot of the things he's doing, but he, his ultimate goal is self-preservation and trying to secure his future and the future of, I was, I was going to say the people he loves, but I don't know if he actually loves anybody. He might, like, I feel like he loves Maddie in a very twisted way and that he always mm -hmm. will in some way or another. And I feel like he has like uh, an obsession with Cassie in a way that kind of transcends love. Like he, covets her in a way and like the idea that she represents and so it's just manifesting yet again in a very dark fashion for him and he's using that darkness to carry out his deeds but he's doing it in a way that he feels guilty about for some reason so like it's less of an easy thing to get away with like in the first season he's hurting all these people and you don't see as much like guilt in him as there is in this season so maybe he's coming to a reckoning in some way true yeah um, I was going to also add to that. I think that Nate exhibits these tendencies to, obviously he loves power and control, but I think that he has a sort of um, like a sociopathic tendency to him. I think mm -hmm. that he does things very impulsively based on his own emotion. And he has trouble relating to how other people feel, just the way that he talks to Maddie, I think. And obviously yeah. the way that he um, he gets really aggressive with people when they disagree with him. And I think that that's because he has trouble relating to other people's emotions. But I mm -hmm. found it particularly fascinating um his fixation on the three girls maddie cassie and jules uh because i think they all are so different in the way that he's fixated on them because i feel mm -hmm. like i think cassie is the person that he 
thinks he should be with. That's why he imagined that whole pregnancy sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, Maddie is the person that is easiest to be with because they have that dynamic and both of them kind of like fighting each other. They kind of like that sort of thing. Uh, and then Jules is the person that I think he probably actually wants to be with just because the way that he had such a genuine connection with her uh, via text. And the only thing that separates them, I think, possibly could be Nate's own insecurity and his masculinity, considering mm-hmm. uh, in his mind, he might see dating Jules as something that would affect his masculinity, though I'm sure all of us agree that dating a trans woman doesn't really, shouldn't really make him feel insecure about himself. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, those dynamics are so fascinating. It's crazy to think that uh, he has this whole mind game going on where he, he just wants to play the field like it's a chessboard and figure mm-hmm. out what the best moves are for him and who he can control. And I think he controls them each in different manipulative ways. Um, but yeah, it's wild to see his journey this season. Mm, it's, it's interesting to see Cal try and do those same things that Nate does to secure his own future. And he tries to be like dark and do dark things in the same way Nate does, but he's just not successful at it. And he can't do it because he doesn't have this sort of like to the level that Nate has, it. he doesn't have this innate darkness in him. He's like an emotional guy, as he says, and he wants to let those emotions out and just, you know, live his life the way he wants to live it. But he's so angry and upset about like how his life has turned and how his life has ended up being that he just is like trapped in a way. And so he breaks free in that one episode where he pees on the floor. And uh, yeah, it's insane. It's a great what scene. A, what a mental breakdown to just start doing that. <laughs> yeah. And no one cleaned it. So that's true. <laughs> so we're just let that just sit there. there. Yeah. But yeah, that was definitely a very interesting scene. And the whole way that they had the other son was so stunned about yeah. all this. But then you see Nate come out and he's just very calm and collected about it. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Just very darkly. Yeah. He just didn't really care. And they said afterwards he was happy that he was gone because he hated Cal so much. But here's the thing, because part of why the whole Nate character is so fascinating is because there's still so much to him that we don't fully understand. Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around his particular trauma and why that created this darkness in him mm-hmm. that is so like scary and compels him to do all these awful things. Um, and it's clear that like, he is this archetype of that hyper-masculinity. And that's why he's trying to, like we saw that in his episode in season one where he starts working out a bunch and he mm-hmm. lists off all the feminine things about the girls he likes because he says that's what I have to be attracted to. Anything that's somewhat masculine can't be attracted to that. Um, so we see like those dynamics and obviously him wanting to be controlling and protective, right? Like that's the masculine role Mm -hmm. but what else is going on there with his sexuality because that that was always a question that was up in the air in season one i felt like and in this season it seemed like it's more of he's not gay at all but there is still that internalized homophobia because of the whole situation with seeing the tapes with his dad but then what exactly was it about that stuff that made him hate his dad so much? Was it the, like, I don't know, because we see him having that one nightmare of his dad on top of him. And mm-hmm. we know that he loves 
being dominant, being controlling and whatnot. And a yeah. great scene in season one was the where Cal was fighting him, like wrestling him, and then he starts freaking out when he's getting pinned on the floor oh, and he starts banging his head against the floor. Like that was a great scene. Mm-hmm. That was so hard to watch. Honestly, it was. I, cried. I literally cried watching that. It was so hard to watch. I feel like we needed yeah. to run uh, Jacob his Emmy, but we didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. He definitely should have been nominated for that or something because he plays his character so well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, seeing that, I know I'm still still trying to dissect what exactly it is that he hates so much about himself and about his dad that he's trying to at once not be his dad like he keeps saying that he doesn't want to be like his dad but then he's also picking up all these tendencies of his dad which is to be like very hyper aggressive and dominant like you see that's what his dad does in those tapes and he does those same sort of things Mm -hmm. Um, but he's saying he hates cal and whenever he's in that like submissive position where he's being dominated or he's powerless like when Mm -hmm. cal was pinning him and then in that nightmare about his dad getting on top of him all those times he freaks yeah. out about that like that's his greatest fear so that's why i'm just trying to figure out what is going on well, with this yeah. do you guys have right. any ideas yeah no yeah clue. i was gonna say i was gonna say um i look at it two different ways i mean obviously we have like the black and white of either it was cal has physically abused him mm-hmm. and that's what he's like uh i guess seeing again or we can look at it at a more like philosophical sort of way where it's that whole power control thing um but i think that when nate saw those tapes as a kid it affected him so deeply psychologically because this is someone he looked up to and he's seeing the behavior that his dad exhibited to these people so i feel like in a weird way he probably assumed that he also had to do that and then that probably made him question himself throughout his whole childhood like what am i attracted to and um like what do what where do i stand in society in terms of being a masculine person like is my i see my dad as this big masculine figure but he's having sex with like men does that mean that i also have to do that you know i feel like that's what he probably thought as a child um and then the fact that cal raised him and aaron in a way that seems like cal very much tried to make them really straight and masculine probably didn't help that i feel like he probably just grew up thinking that he had to be this like super masculine person to maybe impress his dad or live up to his expectations Mm -hmm. um and i feel like that that leads into the whole jules argument because i feel like in nate's mind he probably sees that he sees jules as something that's unconventional in the first episode he says to her like i know what you are and i don't know if that was him saying he knows that she's trans Mm-hmm. or just something else but that's also been debated but i feel like to him being with jules probably presents an obstacle because he thinks it changes his sexual identity if that makes sense mm-hmm. um which is a very highly debated topic i think um people kind of have like a sore spot around that but there's obviously like your sexual orientation there's a thing called a genital preference it's just the genitals that you're attracted to. And mm-hmm. um, then there's obviously transphobia. If you are attracted to someone and you decide you don't want to date them because they're trans, then you're being transphobic. But if you have a genital preference, you're not being transphobic, if that makes sense. So people, yeah. I feel like he in his mind is trying to navigate that and he doesn't have anyone to explain it to him, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, I think that that's what that was about, probably psychologically more than physically, but that also concerned me when his mom asked him in the kitchen. Like, yeah, that was a yeah weird thing to bring up because that was before he saw the tapes because he saw those when he was 11. Right. Uh, and she was said something about like eight or nine. But also Rue had said in the narration that Cal never touched him or did anything to him. Oh, so yeah, it right. could be, <gasps> how old's the other brother? It could be that. Oh, Aaron? No, the uh, other, other, the mystery brother. Oh, the other Was other brother? mystery brother? <laughs> yeah. The third brother. You didn't see that. when he was taken off the picture of the wall. There's the two kids, Aaron and Nate, but then there's another random kid, another son. Oh, yeah, I don't remember that. But yeah, that, that possibly could be it, yeah. He it has like a weird relationship like with his other brother. Yeah. Like something like that happened when he was eight or nine, and then whatever happened at 11, like seeing those tapes just made it go way off the deep end. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it is very complex, whatever he's got going on um, with his sexuality. And I'm interested to see where it continues to go. Because um, it is one of those things that's just, you never know what the man's going to do, and you never really know what's inside his head. And even though we've seen so much of him and we saw like the whole seeing the tapes thing, we still don't have a full grasp of what effect that truly had on him, um, which is still crazy. One question I did have, which is sort of like tying back to a season one thing, mm -hmm. is when did he find out about Cal and Jules? Was he watching the tapes? Does he yeah, just he does regularly watch the tapes? Yeah, I think that's the implication that he goes in and looks at them every once in a while because I think he has like a, a weird obsession with them where he just like likes to know what's going on with his father sexually for some reason. I have no idea. Which, yeah, is definitely... He's, weird. He's just a weird guy. He needs yeah. some therapy for sure for all that. Yeah, we thought Aaron's porn was weird. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he that just goes in and... Line. Yeah. <laughs> Coming on a bunch of women ass stuff. Come on, Aaron. <laughs> It's messed up peeing in people's butts. Yeah, that one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah they, make, just... they make that look like a walk in the park compared yeah. to what Nate was doing. Yeah, he goes in and he just looks every once in a while. He found out that it was Jules and he goes, whoa, that's crazy. And then steals the disc. Right. I wish we would have seen that. Because my implication was that he didn't know about that when he started talking with Jules. Because I thought it was going to be one of the, like him not knowing how to navigate his sexuality. And so he happened to be, he's like on grinder for his own purposes and sees jewels and because cam like you were bringing up like she's a trans girl she's a very feminine but there's also like that general preference in there and so maybe there's like a line nate thinks he's able to tow of well she's a woman so i'm not doing anything crazy but then i'm still able to like experiment in a way so i thought like that'd be a very interesting thing to explore but it seems like he already knew like he went into purposely find jewels because he had seen those tapes and the whole time was initially planning on threatening her to stay silent but then like developed actual feelings and i don't know i kind of like the initial way of he did it of his own volition was just trying to explore things happened to find jewels happened to make a connection with her and then finds out later on Oh, something mm -hmm. happened with Cal, and then he goes from there. But yeah, I don't know. And he also has this thing where he says in one of the episodes he's protecting his dad, like in season yeah. or 
it was episode one or two where he talks to Cal and he tells him, hey, I know about this tape. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm looking out for you. I'm protecting you like I do my whole mm-hmm. life. And I was like, where is that coming from? Is he saying he did the threatening Jules thing in season one to protect his dad? If he hates his dad, why is he protecting? I don't get it. Well, they do the whole thing where they talk about how Cal's business is one day going to be his business. And so by protecting Cal, even though he hates him, it is still an act of self-preservation because that's what he's always doing is just trying to keep himself afloat. And I feel like there's this sort of twisted connection that Nate has with his dad where he doesn't want to see his dad get hurt or doesn't want to see his dad get like, like taken out of like this game that Nate is playing. And then his dad takes himself out and just leaves. And it's sort of a relief to Nate. But going back to what you're saying about Jules in season one, I think that he initially started talking to her as both like self-preservation by protecting Cal. And then also as like that, like the deeper meaning was that he's using that as an excuse to get closer to Jules because he has sort of a fascination with her and trying to understand what that fascination is. So it was kind of like both at once where on the surface he is manipulating and trying to self-preserve at the same time he's trying to understand himself deeper. And he, we find that out when he's talking to Jules in the episode I just watched previously. It's like, I think episode six, season two, where he gives her the disc and is like, everything I said was true. Like, like, and then apologizes for what he had to do. So like, he is like aware of what those deeper intentions were. He was just too afraid to confront them. Gotcha. Still don't understand it all entirely, but still very <laughs> fascinating. He's such a complex character. I kind of love mm-hmm. Sam for that. I feel like he could have given us the the two-dimensional jock is kind of an asshole character, but Nate literally has such definition to him. I feel mm-hmm. like there are so many different angles you can look at it from the psychology of him, and that's what keeps his character so fascinating. You know? He's so unique. Right. Very true. Um, okay, to pivot over to Jules and Elliot, talking about them again. So Jules, again, I was sort of disappointed because she did seem like a character that was just serving Rue in the season instead of her own person. And towards the back half of the season, she did really, like, disappear. (laughs) She was not in it that often. Um, So that, to me, was a little sad. And then also, what they were doing here with her immediately, like, cheating on Rue and getting with Elliot um, Mm -hmm. and doing it because he showed interest in her. And it was funny, like she did the whole thing of, I'm not interested in men anymore. And then very quickly when Elliot was expressing interest, she dropped that. But I thought what was fascinating was when Rue was chewing her out, she said, you love to be loved, which Mm -hmm. is what Maddie said about Cassie, Mm -hmm. the same thing. So why do y'all think they threw in that parallel of what's going on with Jules and what's going on with Cassie? Um, I mean, we've, we've talked about how, uh, they each need validation, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what, uh, Maddie and Rue were getting at when they were saying that you love to be loved. But I think we see that behavior with them. I feel like regardless of, um, their own intention, they very much seek out affection from people and attention from people. And I think that Jules obviously has been painted as more promiscuous than Cassie. I think Cassie kind of idolizes one man specifically in her relationships Mm -hmm. to kind of be in place of what her father couldn't give to her but Jules I feel like has is doing the queer journey a lot of queer people are like hypersexual um Mm -hmm. 
because they're trying to understand their own identity and where they fit into society. And I think she was doing the same thing that a lot of trans women do, where they kind of just like go out and date a lot of people and see what they're into or how they fit into it. But I think it's very true because we saw with Anna in season one, Jules kind of disregarded how Rue felt uh, regarding her feelings. She kind of just went and hooked up with this Anna girl who we had never seen prior to that moment. And then kind of like threw that in Rue's face, not in a malicious way, but obviously she knew how Rue felt about her and she still said it, you know, like she said, look, she bit me here. I felt like that was kind of over the top. Yeah. I'm like, you're, I think at that point she was either sitting next to her or like on top of her or something. And I was like, you're mm -hmm. on top of your girlfriend and you're, you're telling her about another girl that bit you or I don't right. know. It felt very strange, yeah. but I feel like, I feel like it was justified for Rue and Maddie to say those things to them because it seems like they very much do love to be loved and they don't necessarily care about the people that they're loving necessarily, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think with the, the whole Anna thing, that I think, yes, because she knew how Rue felt, that was a little dirty to be doing that. But I don't think it was, I don't know if it constituted cheating at that point because Rue in the special episode said, oh, it was. But Ali was talking to her and like, well, did you guys ever talk about this? Did you explicitly say like, oh, you're together now? And they never really did that. And since we know Jules is obviously like more promiscuous, we'll do that sort of thing more often, like just doing a quick hookup or kissing with someone. Um, I don't think Jules felt like she was in that relationship at that point in time, whereas Rue did. Mm -hmm. um, so that is a little more understandable. Like, yeah, Jules, I mean, what are you doing there talking about? <laughs> the biting kink that yeah. Anna had <laughs> yeah. and then trying to share it with Rue when you know how Rue feels about you. That was a little yeah, yeah. messed up. But what was truly messed up and was cheating for sure was Jules with Elliot. Yeah. Which I don't know why. Like that scene, number one, I don't know why they didn't all just hook up if like they could have done that if they wanted to. I guess if Rue wanted to, we had to see what she wanted. But like if Jules is going to wait for Rue to go to the bathroom and then immediately jump on the bed and kiss Elliot, and then they stop as soon as Rue comes in. Like, they know mm. what they're doing is wrong. Why are they doing it? Like, Jules, come on. <laughs> that was messed up. I mean, the whole show is kind of people doing things that they know are wrong, irregardless of what's what else is going to happen. Like, what just... now, Dylan? Cam, we're going to sell this now. Is it irregardless or regardless? Oh, my God. Okay, okay, gonna... wait, 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 wait. I literally have an argument for this. I had someone say that to me, and I was literally thinking of it right after you just said it. Um, <laughs> yeah. They said that to me, and I looked it up, and the I think it was Webster, Merriam-Webster, whatever, the dictionary, literally put a disclaimer in and said that this has been used so commonly that we've added it to the dictionary, but it's not a word. And oh. I was like... It's like, not a word. It's I consider that a draw, Ryan. <laughs> no, yeah. it's not. Like, it... <laughs> it's technically now a word because we've used it so much, but the dictionary was like, we want to acknowledge that it wasn't a word until you guys started using it. I have personally inserted irregardless into the zeitgeist, Ryan. You're <laughs> yeah. going to have to deal with it. Okay, It's not going to happen. It's two words. I mean, the same thing, but one is has IR in front of it. That is not, it does not work. It does not work. What's the thing? The pre whatever prefix. There you go. That prefix, prefix is supposed to uh, make negative the base word. Right. How can it, regardless it, 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 and irregardless mean the same yeah. thing, Dylan? You're crazy. It should be regardless. Someone stop this man. <laughs> I say how I feel. 
and I feel you regardless. Of, <laughs> I, I just I just can't believe we're having this conversation again, Ryan. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> regardless of of God damn it, I don't even remember what I was talking about. Yeah, I don't know. It was Jules and Elliot. We were talking about them cheating. You were saying everyone yes. does something yes. bad on the show. Yeah. They do something bad on the show regardless of the consequences. Like that's kind of like them figuring out how to morally deal with life is them making these immoral decisions and sort of figuring out what the consequences would be and sort of trying to just go with what their feelings are telling them to do. And so we see Jules like trying to connect with Rue in a lot of ways, but Rue is so like conked out of her mind that she can't have a very strong emotional or sexual relationship with Jules and Jules is a very emotional and sexual person. And she can have that sort of relationship with Elliot. I'm not justifying cheating here, guys. But I understand Jules's perspective in the situation. I just feel like there was certainly a better way to go about it. Like, she still cares for Rue. I think it's clear that she feels disregarded in this relationship. <laughs> irregarded in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much, Ryan. She feels, like, thrown out in this relationship. And she wants to find somebody that can... Uh, provide those feelings for her and so she seeks that out in Elliot even though she does want to continue like a romantic relationship with Rue and she's like towing a very strange line and they have that weird like sort of like teasing a three-way kind of thing where they do like the, the dares where they're kissing each other and like licking Jules's chest and stuff and I was like how far is this gonna go and then it didn't go that far and I was like it's probably a good thing it didn't because that would have been very very odd especially because Rue is just not a sexual person at this point because of her addiction like it's just totally ruining her inside and out and so I just I just feel like it is believable why Jules would do that. And it is still sad that that is the outcome. But that's life, man. That is true. Regardless okay. of the fact. It's life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. I want to jump into the finale real quick. But before we do, Dylan, yay or nay on Lexi getting an expanded role this season? Yay. Yay. Awesome. Yay. Okay. You want to take off your headphones and for like five minutes, we'll cam uh, and yeah. I will debrief. Just, just start waving on the camera when you want okay. me to join back in. Gotcha. All right. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just us. So it was funny when he was bringing up the Nate thing because I had written down, we have a little script thing that we have a little talking points on. And one of the only things I had put there was, what's this talk about protecting his dad? Why did he send him to prison if he was going to try and keep the family business or whatever? Because obviously that's going to create a whole hoopla. So it was funny because they couldn't bring that up in the finale. Right. Nate right, sends yeah. Cal to jail. So how do you feel about that then? The whole like, is he ever protecting Cal? But if he is, like he literally just said, I want to get revenge on you. What's going on with that? Oh, gosh. Okay, so when I saw the finale, I thought that was so random. I was watching it, and I was kind yeah. of like, wait, whoa, where? what are we doing? Uh, especially because Nate pulled up with a Glock. Um, and he <laughs> Which he didn't use. I don't know right. why. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what was the point of that? I guess Nate just loves a good thrill. But uh, my thought process behind that was I was confused because I was wondering the same sort of thing you were along the line of uh, with is it protection or is it revenge? But I guess he he, he confirmed that it was revenge. Um, mm -hmm. But I think he has this bitter resentment towards his dad for something that I feel like is highly debated. I feel like people jump to the conclusion that Cal abused Nate. And let's say that 
let's say definitively, let's say that it's canon that he never physically abused him. That the only mm-hmm. reason why Nate has this animosity is because of the tapes. My question then is, um, if Cal didn't intentionally show Nate those tapes and Nate stumbled upon them, I feel like how is it Cal's fault that Nate is, I guess, so angry with him about it? Like, Nate is the right. one who discovered them. So to me, it feels weird that he's so set with his father. I understand that his dad scarred him by that, but it wasn't his dad showing him the tapes intentionally that did that. You know? Right. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. I, and I think that's, again, an interesting part of like the whole his psychology is, yeah, Cal never intended for that to happen. It's just an unfortunate situation that occurred. But I think maybe the way that Cal was trying to raise Nate like to specifically be uh, like this athlete, this football player, someone who lives up to certain values, right? Like he's instilling in him during the carnival. He does that whole thing of he's telling McKay, oh, you have to keep putting in the work. You got to keep throwing in that effort and then you'll get rewarded. Those sort of things, um, right. which I'm sure he was teaching Nate all throughout his upbringing. So it could also be a case of Nate resents Cal because Cal comes up with this image like of this masculine man's man father, but he's going behind his family's back to do these actions, um, which is very distant from like the image you would have of somebody that portrays himself in that way. Um, so because he's like so dishonest and is completely contradicting like who he says, this is who you have to be. That could be part of why Nate is so against it. But then also, it's like that thing of if Nate is still to this day, like watching tapes of his father, like he doesn't need to be doing that if he's resenting his dad. So it definitely goes deeper than that. Right, yeah. So I don't know. There's like a whole bunch of stuff to unpack with that. Um, um, yeah. No, yeah. I was going to say on that last note that you were saying about him still watching the tapes, I don't think that ever occurred to me until this podcast, if I'm going to be quite honest. But I think that. Now that you mentioned that, maybe it's something like morbid curiosity in the sense that like when we see things online, we scroll through and we see something that has a really scary title. It says like not safe for work. It's blurred. But you're so curious about it that you click it, you know, and continue. Um, Even though we know that we shouldn't be looking at those things. um, I think that maybe in a way it's that like he just has this morbid curiosity to keep up with what his dad is doing which obviously psychologically isn't that sound and he should definitely get therapy for that but (laughs) um (laughs) i feel like uh i feel like maybe it's that maybe he just wants to keep tabs on him and i guess make sure that he isn't also continuously sleeping with people like jules or people that age group or maybe even jules again i don't know what his thought process right but um that's such an interesting concept to think about the fact that he still watches the tapes Mm -hmm. because that hasn't been i guess confirmed to us but it hasn't been denied to us yeah it is fascinating i don't know we'll see more with um well because he also like he made the flash drive which i guess if he was preparing to take down his father like he could have just gone and made copies of all the discs but it also seems like yeah, he specifically still goes and does that same routine of looking through the tapes and whatnot. Um, yeah, definitely very fascinating stuff. Okay, and then the final thing to talk about is Fezco and Ashtray. Oh. 
<laughs> rest in peace to our little angel astray our violent oh, no. murderous <laughs> angel oh, r.i.p shout out to our cigarette butt eater <laughs> um may he rest in peace is For he sure. dead though we didn't see a body you know i think the... he's got to be dead no, yeah, I'm just trolling, but, yeah. you know, a lot of people online were using, which is valid, a valid criticism. Usually on a TV show, if you don't see a body, you have to, yeah. you know. I don't think they wanted to show a kid getting right. <laughs> his head right. taken off, though, but, yeah. I think right. it is, I think it's a good, like, twist in the story to raise the stakes, have somebody actually die, and having it be Astray, who's someone we, like, all care about, like, not truly deeply, like, we don't know much about the kid, but. We care about him in the sense that Fesco cares about him, and he's a cool character. Like, this is a little kid with face tattoos <laughs> who's in the drug game. It's just funny to see. So him getting off makes the most sense. And also because, I mean, if it's going to take two years for another season to come out, like the kid, he's going to be like a young man at that point. So it just doesn't make sense to keep him around. He's going to be like aging up way too fast, and he's still supposed to be 12. It right, wouldn't make sense. Yeah. The real actor, I saw an interview recently, and his, his voice is deepening. So I was like, ooh, yeah. yeah, they definitely had to figure out a solution for that. Yeah, and so they said kill him. Kill him. <laughs> That's the solution. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like this season, how we got the, like, one of the only two actual cold opens where we focus on a character backstory with Fesco and Cal. I love both of those. That was great, seeing Fes's grandma. That was great oh, stuff. God. She was amazing. I really loved her. I feel like that in itself. Well, have you seen this? Is like not to get off topic, but it reminded me of Shameless. The TV I have not show. seen it. No. Um. Yeah. It's just they're very, uh, very blunt on that show, and I feel like her personality kind of encapsulates the same as the characters on Shameless. So when I saw that, it was kind of a callback to that, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." But it also gave us perspective because we've had this character in a in a I guess coma in Fez's mm -hmm. house the entirety of season one so it was cool to see that she had a very significant standing in their lives yeah for sure um but yeah other than that i think that's all the stuff for season two real quick did you also feel that it was weird that the whole suitcase plot line got dropped with laurie of course of course they hyped it up so much what was that with all the the angles pointing at the door and you know yeah it just, it just I, I don't know why they they build up so much but it's not even like we got an explanation writing it off like they just didn't even mention it again right i i think it's fascinating that Lori went so deeply into insinuating that she would traffic rue and then that never became a factor but i guess mm -hmm. uh i guess two things about that one uh i guess we were supposed to assume that Lori would be able to find rue which i guess how would she know where she lives? Um, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, but she knows she's a high school student. Right. She could just go through and try and find that. She also knows Fez, and it seems like Fez, I don't know, deals to those high schoolers. So she, uh, she could figure out, like, this is where he's posted up, so this is where she must be, like, this sort of area if she goes to Fezco for the drugs. So I feel like there's a way, certainly, that she would be able to find Rue. Um, and I don't know if he's saving this for season three, but yeah, Sam Levinson sort of just said, okay, we're going to wrap up some plot <laughs> lines, but then not wrap up 
any others. Yeah, that was my other thing I was going to say. The fact that Rue's narration at the end skips the time forward. So says yeah. that she went through the rest of the year being sober. That's, that's I guess, confirming that Lori never chased her. So Yeah. And then that's also... Because if that's true, because some of the characters are seniors, right? So are they going to just be graduated now? Yeah. They're going to come back during summer or something and see what their lives are like out of school? I don't know. That's true. I mean, in just real quick, in season one, they said that Maddie didn't aspire to have any sort of job. She wanted to do nothing and get paid. So maybe she'll find some sort of job locally in town. Uh, I don't know. That's true. Around. That is true. Very true. But yeah, we'll see. Hopefully season three we'll get some more answers about the whole uh suitcase thing, if that ever happens. I'm interested to see where Nate goes with him and Cal. Um, now that he's in jail. Does the family business get hit? How does the rest of the family react? Are we ever gonna see that other brother? Who knows? Will Fesco... I, just want him, I want him to walk out of his room. He's been a Twitch streamer this whole time. <laughs> yeah. and he just walks out and grabs a drink, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, he comes out and still sees a puddle on the floor, and he's like, hey, guys. Right. Someone spill exactly. something here? Um, but yeah, hopefully all that will be answered. And it'll be interesting to see how they deal with Fezco and also Rue and Jules' relationship going forward. Because I like that Rue and Lexi reconnected. That's super yeah. cool. But then now if Fezco, which is important to both Rue and Lexi, um, if he's in prison or in the hospital from the gunshot, it'll be interesting to see how their friendship continues dealing with that. Yeah, it would be super fascinating. I think um, there's so many loose ends. I It almost felt like a series finale, though. It almost felt like, I don't know how to explain it. It felt kind of like they they wrapped everything up, even though it wasn't resolving all the plot lines they just kind of gave us like a neat little bow at the end of season two and i was wondering how will they unravel that for season three right yeah yeah and i don't know if they'll be able to sustain past season three i'm interested in what they do with that if they try to make season three like okay this is it or if they try to plan for another few seasons after that but Mm -hmm. again if it takes two years every time for them to release a season uh, it might be too much. So they might just make season three be the final one. Uh, <clears throat> All right, I'm yeah. going to try and bring back Dylan. There he goes. Hello. I'm back. Welcome back. How was your discussion? Mike. It was great. We talked about the finale. I don't uh, say anything new. But again, like I had said before, I think the finales aren't as strong as the midpoints. So I'll be interested to see how you feel about how they tackled some of the plot lines. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to watch it right after we finish recording this. (laughs) It's intense. It's intense for sure. I'm excited. Okay. Good discussion, y'all, for Euphoria. See you in two years when we get another season. This is a very enlightening discussion, for sure. Definitely opened my eyes to a lot of the the things that I didn't notice when watching the show. Yeah. Valid points. Thank you guys for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate you doing it. Yeah. That's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make suggestions for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for this show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. 
Be sure to have a good time for the rest of your week. Make sure you go check out The Batman. It's coming out this weekend. We're going to be talking about it next week. 